You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have uh, Joseph Zoida. He's the head of a company called Levitate. We're going to be talking about uh, upper body exoskeletons for active professionals and uh, trade workers. Sounds super interesting. So, Joe, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if you would, tell me, uh, what, how did you ever come to this concept? What's a little bit of your background and history? Yes, of course. Um, myself and my business partner, are the two co-founders of the company. We both come from the medical device industry for all, basically all of our career. Um, and in, in a prior venture, my uh, business partner, Mark Doyle, um, he's the CEO of our company and he is a serial inventor. And his previous invention was surgical instrumentation for the operating room for surgeons. Mm-hmm. And as he was developing that, he noticed an extensive amount of fatigue and musculoskeletal, uh, 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 excessive musculoskeletal loads on surgeons in the operating room. And, right. you know, they couldn't do anything about it. So he realized that the only solution for this is a wearable upper body exoskeleton to help the surgeons. And that's where the, he conceived of the idea. He built the prototype in well, quick question. What do you mean loads on, like if someone's doing surgery, is it because they have to uh, extend their the upper part of them over the table and it hurts their lower back? Or like what kind of problems do surgeons have that would require an exoskeleton? If you, uh, if you look at the way surgeons operate for laparoscopic procedures where they have minimally invasive operations, their arms are actually extended almost at shoulder level, maybe slightly below shoulder level. And they're holding onto these instruments and manipulating them for hours at a time. Mm. So it's actually abduction of their arms over the patient um, for hours. And that's where the fatigue happens in their shoulder, their neck, and their back. Right. Makes sense. So okay. it, it, it's almost like, you know, an assembly environment. But here you're working with patients. So it was invented for that purpose. And as we were, uh, we raised a lot of uh, private financing for the company. And as we started to promote our website, uh, large manufacturing companies found out about us and decided uh, to trial our uh, prototypes. So companies like BMW and Toyota and John Deere and aerospace companies, heavy machinery, automotive, and they really loved the product for the industrial factory worker. And we started to quickly receive purchase orders for the technology. So we invested heavily into manufacturing and we 
switched our focus to manufacturing and marketing the product for the industrial workers in assembly, painting, welding, material handling, maintenance operations, and uh, fulfillment centers is a new area that we're looking at, and construction. So we actually Mm -hmm. spun off the surgical exoskeleton as a separate company, and Levitate is strictly laser-focused on the factory workers. Okay. So um, what kind of things happen to workers in factories where they would need uh, an exoskeleton? So if you imagine a person uh, for years does work at shoulder level or overhead work in assembling the underbodies of cars, a lot of the car manufacturing process is robotized, but there are processes that you can never use a robot for, and those are still being assembled by human beings. So they spend at least a quarter to half of their day with their arms over their head, assembling heat shields or whatever the case may be. Other tasks, if you imagine painting uh, a large airplane, those are done with manual painters. So they are on this lift and they have to paint the surface of an entire airplane with their arms at shoulder level or even above shoulder level. And that's all they do. So after, a, after years of doing this, their arms start to get fatigued, the, the inflammation in their shoulder muscle and their neck and their lower back go beyond what is an ergonomically friendly zone. So they are excessively uh, inflaming these musculoskeletal joints to the point that they start to get strained and they start to feel the pain and um, the soreness when they go home. So it's very hard to make every single job in the ergonomic green zone, we call it, so that they don't go above a recommended threshold of muscle activity. Um, They're forced to be in that red zone due to the nature of the job. And that's where the airframe exoskeleton comes in. When you cannot engineer the workstation to keep it in the green ergonomic zone, Uh, you have no choice left but to have the worker in the red ergonomic zone. The airframe, because it's body-worn, does not interfere in the workspace, provides a gentle helping hand when you need it, and gets out of your way when you don't need it, takes that red ergonomic zone and makes it green. And that's the benefit that it provides for the factory workers. What does it look like? Is it a whole, um, is it like a complete exoskeleton, or is it just like part of an arm assist, or what does it look like? So it has a, in front of the user, there's really nothing except a strap that goes down the, from the shoulder down to the belt that we have on it. So you've got a belt um, uh, with buckles. You've got straps that go down the front of the body. And then all the support and counterbalancing mechanisms are behind the user. So on the side of the arm, there is what we call a cartridge or cassette. And it is on the outside of the arm, uh, so on the outside of the, of the biceps, and uh, I should say on the outside of the triceps. And then it has springs, pulleys, and cable mechanism there. And then there's an armrest. It's like an arm cup that is right above the elbow. So it's almost like somebody puts their hand right above the elbow to help hold up that arm um, and takes the hand out of the way when you don't need that support. Then there is a rigid spine that goes down the back of the user, and that is where the load goes. 
So you offload the arm, shoulder, and back, take that load down this rigid spine down the back, and then goes to these belt struts that grab that load and transfer it out to the outside of the hips. So you've got hip pads there too. So you've got hip pads and arm cups and a mechanical mechanism that is behind the body. It is very low profile. It has nothing in front of the user because that's where the workstation is. So we don't want to interfere with that space. And it takes that load down to the outside of the hips while also allowing for full range of motion up and down, left to right for the arm. Um, so it doesn't interfere with the workspace. And just if you can imagine, um, you know, having to change, say, 50 light bulbs in a row overhead. And after the 10th one, you're going to start to get that fatigue in your shoulder and that aching. And somebody comes in with a helping hand right above the elbow when you're changing that light bulb overhead and gives you kind of a shelf for your arm. So as soon as they give you that little shelf. Yeah. And then when you lower your arm, they get their hand out of the way. And that way you get the help when you need it. And it disappears when you don't need it. That's what the exoskeleton does in a mechanical way with no tethering, with no battery, with no software, with no power. It's a very simple and elegant mechanical system and very lightweight. Well, how is, how is it powered then if it has no power? We store the energy using springs, basically. So there's a spring mechanism on the outside of that cartridge. It's a mechanical stored energy that you activate when you raise your arm and that you deactivate when you lower your arm. So is, it, uh, is energy essentially taken from the user in little bits and stored capacitively somehow? The energy is stored inside this cartridge. So when your arm is lowered by your side, the springs are storing the energy. They're extended, but they are disadvantaged because of a cam technology that we have. Just like a bow cam where you pull, you pull on that bow all the way back and the force almost goes away because of the cam system. So when your arm is down by your side, there's a stored energy of an extended spring and a regular extension spring that is disadvantaged with the cam. When you raise your arm, the cam, the disadvantaging goes away and you feel the support of the spring as you, as you raise your arm. Does this fatigue the user any more than normal? Because it's essentially... Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. It would it would be I would counterproductive. It would take a little bit of energy from them, but not much. What happens is when you raise your arm and the and the spring mechanism is advantaged and you feel the support. The way we calibrate the system, the way we optimize its fit for the user, is we make sure that the gravity uh, by itself of their arm lowers their arm back down. So you don't have to exert force to push the mechanism and push your arm down to your side. You let gravity do that by itself. And then when you raise your arm, yes, of course, you're going to have some energy exerted to raise your arm. But as soon as you reach the 30-degree level, the spring mechanism kicks in and you feel that support. So what we did, and this was actually done by John Deere and by Toyota, uh, and Toyota actually put eight muscle sensors, wireless muscle sensors on the shoulder, bicep, back, and neck on both sides of the body. And scientifically, with the help of Iowa State University, we're collecting about 10,000 muscle activity data points per second from all these sensors. And they compared the muscle activity with and without our exoskeleton. They wanted to make sure that we are not adding exertion to the user. We're only reducing the muscle exertion. 
And they wanted to make sure that we're not taking the load off the shoulder and taking it all to the lower back. So they proved for all these muscle activities that there was a 20 to 30% muscle exertion reduction in all these muscle groups that I named. And that is when they were convinced that we are not adding work to the user, we are only reducing the load. And they also proved that they're taking it from the red ergonomic zone that can lead to sprains and injury to a green ergonomic zone. So overall, because we're taking all the load to the outside of the body, we are not increasing any muscle exertion by the user. We are only reducing it. Well, even if you're taking a little bit of energy from the user, but giving them back a lot more somehow, then that, you know, I'm sure that would be acceptable. But what, what would the, what's the feedback from users? You know, numbers say something, but what is the user experience? <clears throat> they are truly appreciating the technology. Um, they are aware that they're wearing out their bodies. And when we give them a technology like this, they absolutely appreciate the benefit it's providing to them. You know, initially, of course, when you ask somebody to put on a, uh, an aluminum frame that goes down the back, they're going to be resistant to the idea because they're not used to something like that. But once they actually uh, get used to the system and let it do its job and it's optimized for their body size and their arm size and the type of work that they're doing, they are extremely appreciative. We've had people that said they no longer feel the strains and pain at the end of the day. They go home and they don't feel sore at home. We've had a user that says he feels like he can now retire healthy because of the technology. A lot of these people that are in the assembly world, painting world, that do it for a living, welders that do it for a living, they retire, unfortunately, with musculoskeletal disorders. Um, they just, that's just the nature of the type of work that they do. So they are very appreciative, and they don't want to give the device back once they try it. Well, again, what have they noticed specifically? Any comments from them like, oh, I feel less tired or, you know, right off the bat, do they feel anything or it takes a while? Like, what are some specific comments? The, the, the response to the ergonomic support the device provides is quite immediate. You will quickly realize that you're getting this very comfortable support for your arm. Their feedback specifically has been that at the end of the day, if they were to rate the muscle fatigue and aching in their shoulder, for example, from one to 10, they would say that every day I go home with fatigue level of seven out of 10 or aching of six or seven out of 10, 10 being the absolute worst. When they wear the airframe and they do their same job, at the end of the day, they feel the fatigue level to be a two out of 10 or a three out of 10. That's the difference that the technology provides. That's amazing. It really is amazing. It's a, it's a great invention, and that is why we're getting tremendous reception to it, to the point that Toyota realized, Toyota Motor Manufacturing made it corporate policy that exoskeletons for certain jobs that are in the red zone, the airframe exoskeleton is a mandatory PPE, personal protective equipment, just like safety glasses, basically. So it's making a very big difference for these uh, workers that, that are exposed to these tough uh, job environments. No, that's great. Um, I was going to joke and say I should get my wife an exoskeleton for the kids. So. Yeah, I, it, 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 we, get, we get those comments a lot, and they are actually valid. I have used our airframe to carry my uh, baby uh, when she was younger. So it, it, 
it's a very versatile, there are so many different jobs that can benefit from this. Um, we are obviously focused on the industrial application, but uh, a consumer version is in the future without a doubt. We strongly believe there are a lot of people, whether it's a shoulder injury, whether it's somebody that loves to do gardening, but they're an elderly person, um, you know, hobbies, uh, all kinds of bird watching, you know, you just Google bird watching and shoulder pain and you'll find it right away. So it is a consumer version friendly technology, not just for the professional welder. And one of those days it will be in big box stores like Home Depot. So it is kind of uh, humorous to say, what about this job or that job? But it actually is the case down the line. This is the first generation of airframes and much more to come down the line. You know, it's interesting, actually, like, you know, you might think it's silly, but consider a coffee shop or, I don't know, a factory or something like that. I wonder if um, the owner of the factory gets this for all their workers and they're required to wear it, if they would reduce their insurance premiums and their, you know, uh, injuries at work and all the other stuff. It could be a big play in that arena where, again, companies that use it, they get an insurance break and all that because they reduce accidents. That is a great insight, um, Richard, and we are definitely seeing that already. Um, we're seeing it in a couple of ways. Let me give you an example. If, if, if you have to build a warehouse as a construction company, a large fulfillment center, say for Amazon, it's a million square foot facility, as an example, and you have to install 30,000 sprinkler heads. And then one of your installers tears his rotator cuff muscle. They have to go get surgery. They're going to be out of the job for six months and workers comp has to pay them 66% of their salary while they're staying at home. And whoever replaced them gets the, get, has to get paid, of course, and they may not even be the ideal person because they're not as good as the guy who injured his shoulder. So the insurance premium goes up. The insurance company is paying that extra salary. If that all can be avoided, most absolutely certain that they would buy the airframe to avoid increase in insurance premium. We currently have workers' comp providers asking us for the airframe and offering it to their clients. We're also starting to see uh, workers' comp claims going down after the implementation of the exoskeleton. So you make a great point, and we're already seeing it because we have been on the market for over two years now, and these, this type of evidence is starting to appear so that is a great point, and it is already the case. Well, very good. Well, Joe, um, last question I want to ask you. What about, um, I don't know, would police use this? Uh, would it be used in good or bad ways, maybe by, I mean, you know, all technology could be good or bad, but have you had any interest from unusual places, police or, again, unexpected places? We have not, no. We, we, had, um, we do have a lot of interest from the military, uh, but, um, you know, mostly it's for maintenance operations and shipyards and air bases, air force bases, et cetera. But unusual requests, we have not. No. One second, Joseph. Sure. Okay. Very good, Joe. Well, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch and ask questions and, and all that? Uh, my email or my phone. Um, uh, I'm available anytime. Are you saying regarding this podcast or to the company yeah, oneself? Yeah, Joe, uh, what I was going to ask you is for people listening, how is the best way for them to get in touch if they're interested in learning about the exoskeleton, 
getting it for their company, et cetera? What's a good call to action for them? Yes, I would say our website is an excellent resource for information on the technology, and that is Levitate, as in levitation, L-E-V-I-T-A-T-E, followed by tech, T-E-C-H, all one word, levitatetech.com, or they can email us at info at levitatetech.com. That's great. Joe, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And uh, it's a pleasure for us and would uh, love to do uh, more of this as we develop more products. Excellent. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.